Becoming vulnerable has been a journey for me, but it's, it's definitely has been what has helped me. Um, even doing podcasts like this, like being able to tell my story and to say it out loud, knowing that I might be able to help somebody else definitely pushes me and keeps me going forward. Um, another thing is, you know, like I said, just don't stuff it. It's, it does not help. It, it's, it's going to come back at some point in time. So why not just deal with it now? Um, and I know, you know, it's hard to, to find those groups of people, but sometimes you just have to put yourself out there to find them. Like, you know, they didn't just come to me. I had to go out there and, and find those groups. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of the podcast. I am excited because I got to chat with one of our former guests and in the uh, interview we did together. Oh my gosh, I think it's been over a year, I think. Right, I think it's been that. Uh, that episode was called Navigating New Love After Loss, and it was with uh, Elizabeth Hall and uh, Dave Devine. Uh, and today I have Elizabeth. Uh, hi, Liz. Good to have you. Thanks for having me back. I'm so glad you are back. And the reason we are recording uh, another one is that time we talked about mainly the grief uh, and, and process of you uh, that you had after the death of Brian, your husband. And then the uh, that episode is about you and Dave then connecting and, you know, uh, after each of you had lost your spouses. But one of the thing we did, things we didn't touch that much upon in that episode was your previous grief experience, which had been the death of your mom. And so today that will be part of the focus of the conversation. So just so that the listeners know, uh, this is like a prequel, <laughs> a prequel to the, <laughs> a prequel to the, it's a sequel, to, se prequel, sequel, whatever to the other, uh, interview. It's a sequel, but it's a prequel because it was something that happened before uh, Brian died. So um, so anyway, so let's uh, chat about you. So Liz, tell us about you, your upbringing, uh, where were you born, raised, and all that kind of stuff, and we'll, we'll go from there. Sure. So I grew up in New York, um, near Buffalo, New York, uh, so Western New York, and I had, you know, the, the picture perfect life, so to say, with, you know, the perfect family. I was actually adopted when I was a day old or two days old. So, and then my brother was adopted as well. And we had a great life with, you know, the perfect house and the perfect school and, and everything that you would want. My parents both worked really hard for everything that they were able to give us. And, um, you know, we had to work hard to earn our own things. And it was just a, a definitely a, a great life uh, growing up. That's great. Now, you lived then in New York for how long? So I was in New York until I graduated from college. So um, until oh, like, yeah. So that yeah, is so a long time. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, state. yeah. You're a New York. You're a New Yorker. I am. New Same Yorker. House. Yeah. <laughs> New Yorker, yeah. yeah. Now in Texas. Now, now she lives in Texas. Yes. So people know. But um, were you? Is it okay if I ask you? Because I didn't know the 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 part that you had been adopted. Is that something? that we can talk in this episode a little bit as well uh, yeah. of that dynamic. Okay. Cool. Absolutely. Um, okay. So that's how you uh, were then uh, brought up. How far apart are you from your brother? How, so are you he's, he's two years older than me, um, but they didn't adopt him until he was four. So I was two. So I was technically like an only child for two years and then he came along. Oh, okay. Okay. So then when, so he, even though he's older, you were first in your family. Yeah. He was so in foster. If you're the I was just saying he was in foster care and stuff like that before 
they um, adopted him. Okay, so let's just talk, I'm, that I'm curious because <laughs> I wonder if the memories are even there for you at two when your brother came and having an older brother yeah. join your family. Do you remember anything about that? No, not really, no. I mean, through pictures, yes, but um, no, I don't remember any of it. And um, I mean, as of now, we don't have a relationship at all, but okay. back in the day, um, you know, it was just typical brother sister stuff until he turned. I think it was like high school. Then he started to get himself in trouble and all that fun stuff. But um, fun, but not fun, not fun yeah, stuff. not fun, fun stuff, for my maybe. Fun, <laughs> not fun for your parents or no. for you. And that that's part. I'm assuming the reason of of it now being yeah. a little different between you guys. Okay, absolutely. Okay, so that did that all occur prior to your mom passing? Then that 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 the, yeah. that, the, the, the okay. So yeah, um, yes and no. Yes, and you see, guests don't normally know what kind of questions I'm gonna ask. So then, in that process, too, if I ever do ask something that you're like, I pat, let's not talk about that. We don't have to talk about it because I normally am like, I, I, I'm curious, of course, and I end up asking more than sometimes uh, people want to share. So feel free to, to, to you know, kind of just uh, nip it in the butt if I'm asking something that's too much. The um, <laughs> let's talk then regarding then being brought up. When did you find out that your parents were not your biological parents? Do you remember the age you were? I, I do not. Um, I remember my mom had a book in her nightstand that was, said something. It was like I'm why you're, I'm adopted or you're adopted. I don't know something like that. It was the title mm-hmm. of it, and I remember seeing it and being like, "What? What is this?" And then I think my brother knew. Um, because obviously coming at four, he knew that, you know, my parents weren't his parents. And so I think at one point he might've like told me or blabbed about it on the bus. And, um, but I always kept it quiet and I don't Mm -hmm. think there was ever like that formal sit down with my Mm -hmm. parents saying like, this is what happened and, and so on and so forth. So, um, it was kind of just one of those things that like, they knew I knew, I knew they knew. And we just, (laughs) You just kind of like just lived on. So then did the question ever arise for you in your teens or early, you know, years about even your, uh, you know, previous, you know, your birth parents and things like that? Did those questions come up? Yeah. So not you? with not with my parents, um, my adoptive parents, uh, but I would have them in my head really just mm-hmm. more along the lines of for health reasons. Yes. Um, I didn't have any interest in meeting my birth mother or anything like that. Uh, I did my, the only thing my mom had was cause it was a closed adoption and uh, mm-hmm. back in the eighties. And so she just had some paperwork from the lawyer that just said very simple things like mother allergic to milk, allergic to chlorine, um, had a previous child who also was given up for adoption. So real basic. Um, and then at one point I did fill out something for New York state that, Basically, if the birth mom wanted to fill it out, she could as well. And then if there was any sort of additional health information, they would mail it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did fill that out and I did receive something in the mail, but it wasn't, it was just more information that the the, the, the state had um, that really the only thing it told me was that she got her gallbladder out when she was like 22. And ironically, I did the exact same thing. So I was like, finally, oh, really? that makes sense why I had to get my gallbladder out. Um so yeah, and I never, I, I knew it would crush my mom to like mm-hmm. even want to explore that. And I had no interest whatsoever. Um, there was always a part of me that was like, Ooh, what if they're famous or what, you know, like I wanted yeah. to know the story, but <laughs> yeah, no. And now that you said that you knew then that there was a previous child, if, even that curiosity of maybe not necessarily, okay, knowing who the birth parent is, but oh my gosh, I have another sibling out there. I hope I don't end up marrying my brother. Or so. <laughs> well, the story, the story gets better because... Okay, dig yeah. in, dig in. So I, like I said, I, I never cared. Um, and then I don't, it might've been before my mom passed away or after, I'm not quite sure, but I filled out the 23andMe and I also yeah. did um, Ancestry.com. And that once again, was just for the health reasons because 23andMe, you can do like the breast cancer gene and a whole bunch of other things. And that's all I really wanted to know. And if you go to the doctor to get any of that done, 
they won't give it to you. Even if you say you're adopted, they say, well, you're, we, we don't know your history. Well, more the reason, give it to me. But anyways, mm-hmm. they didn't. So I filled that out and, you know, cousins and things like that would pop up. And I never, I was like, okay, cool. Like I might have Facebook stalked them a little bit, but never did anything about it. Um, and then uh, after Brian passed away, uh, so last summer, I, or probably before summer, I received a message on 23andMe from a girl that said she was my half-sister. And I was like, whoa, what is going on? And (laughs) so we explored that a little bit and I started talking to her and she's like, well, we have to have the same dad because I know my birth mom and she has said that I'm the only child she's ever had and, you know, so on and so forth. And so, um, she sent some pictures over and by looking at the pictures, I was like, uh, no, that has to be my birth mom because she looks identical to me. Mm. Um, so we put it together and then my half sister reached out to, uh, the birth mom and said, you need to spill your guts. And she reluctantly still denied and then said, Oh yeah, I had a baby, but I don't remember. And, um, so long story short, uh, without getting into too much detail on that, she, I have no interest in Mm -hmm. meeting birth mom. Um, but last summer I actually went back home to Buffalo and I did meet up with my half sister for the first time. And that was awesome. And she's, how was it? Yeah. How much difference are you guys in ages? How much difference? She's, I think about five years older than me. Um, and she, she's great. You know, she has her own family and she has older kids than me. And, um, it was just great being able to, you know, chat about our pasts and, um, you know, we lived, less than an hour away from each other our whole that is what's so crazy yeah, yeah that's what's so crazy when people like that like you live like just a block from people that you're you know relate. you know this is up i've heard this a lot uh about these kind of situations and it's like wow we could have ran into each other at the grocery store or things like yeah. that before and <gasps> yeah so it's well, good so we're, we've maintained good. relationship um connection just, yeah texting and stuff like that that's and good. It's just fun to have an actual sibling, especially where my brother yeah. and I don't have that, you know, relationship. relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have a, a sibling. And and it's it, and it's important too because and especially you know you know Brian died of uh, what they call a, a widow maker heart attack, uh, but you never know like to like you know you've had already gallbladder removed. You never know a situation in the future of any organ that, you know, or anything, don't it? blood, you know, things mm-hmm. like that, that it's so good that at least you now have that connection, even if it's, you know, not emotional, at least you know how to reach your sister and vice versa for her to you, you know? Yeah. And that's exactly why she ended up looking for her birth mom because her adoptive dad had passed away um, of a health mm-hmm. issue. And she was like, Whoa, I need to know my health. And so um, thankfully, you know, through her, I have an idea now of health, yes. um, and you know, nothing major. So that's calming that's for the yeah. hypochondriac in me. And, yeah. um, now I have a new, you know, a new relationship new to explore. Family. Yeah. And thank you for indulging me and in going down this area, which yeah. we, I did not know. I know of course, sorry. here I am discovering. <laughs> no, 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 that, no, that's nothing to be sorry about this. It just shows how, uh, candid and impromptu our conversations are because I'm discovering just alongside the listeners as well. So thank you, Liz. Okay. So, um, you then went to college in, uh, New York. Tell us about your dynamics and your relationship with your mom. Um, and then when, when you got married and those kind of things and, and so forth, because yeah, let's go in there. Yeah. So I, um, I went to school in New York. I did go away from home, um, three hours so nothing, nothing too far. Um, my mom, I don't have the exact dates of things, but I, my mom originally was diagnosed with breast cancer in, I want to say when I was like in high school, my, my senior year or junior year. Um, and then it did come back again in when I was a sophomore in college or a freshman, Um, but both times it was just what they called stage zero, you know, not a big deal. Might've even been from hormone replacement therapy for, you know, menopause Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. So Mm -hmm. they got rid of it. Um, I don't I think she decided to have radiation and she worked through the whole thing and it was no big deal. Um, so we had those two hiccups along the way and, uh, finished up college and I moved from, um, college. I moved to, Brian had got a job in Connecticut, so he went to Connecticut. I moved back home to do my student teaching for school and then graduated that December. Because you and Brian were high school, you guys 
had been together since high school. Yeah. So we started yeah. dating a senior year or junior year of high school. Yeah. And just in case somebody listening, this has not heard your episode yeah. so that that way they can hear. Yeah. Yeah. We went to college, not together, but close to each close other. Uh-huh. Um, and now as an adult and I'm able to, you know, I've been through all of this grief and, and everything like that in my life, I'm able to look back at things and realize that when I was in college, I was 110% full of anxiety, um, which at the mm-hmm. moment I had, I didn't know. I just, you know, felt like I had to be close to Brian and I had to, and now I look back at it. I'm like, wow, those were like all little mini panic attacks. And you've been experiencing anxiety for way longer than you, you know, you thought you were. So um, what do you think that anxiety, did that anxiety come from knowing that your mom, like having known that your mom was sick and the anxiety as you're kind of in these developing years of finding out something that you could potentially be terminal, but, you know, kind of living because how many years then does she live with a diagnosis in and out of having breast cancer? I mean, that was 1998 and she didn't pass away till 2015. So, right. Oh yeah. yeah. So that's a lot of, yeah. You're, so yeah. that uncertainty, it, mm-hmm. it very well could have been, um, you know, to this day, I still have a hard time pinpointing exactly what caused anxiety. I think, you know, issues with my brother over the years. I, I don't think helped the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but my anxiety like full fledged didn't start until when I moved back home to do my student teaching. And then basically when I graduated college and it was like, okay, Liz, life is yours. You know, it awaits, jump on in there. Uh, and I had to, I was supposed to drive to go see Brian in Boston at the time. Cause he moved from Connecticut to Boston and getting in the car and driving was no big deal for me. I would drive eight hours at a time. Just see you later. Uh, but for whatever reason, I just did not want to go. And then I finally ended up going and like two hours in had a massive panic attack on the highway. And the second I turned around to go back to my parents' house, I was totally fine. And then I was like, okay, this is an actual issue. So it's ironically, yeah, when I had nothing to really worry about, besides life, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. is when, you know, the anxiety started, but I'm sure some of it probably manifested from my mom's illness for sure. Mm -hmm. Did you end up seeking when you did know that that's what you were having? Like at the point that you did like, wait a minute, I can't even drive now yeah, because I'm having this. Did you seek for help at that moment with your, uh, with your anxiety? I went home and my mom was like, what is wrong with you? I've never, you know, you've never acted like this before. Um, and so she dragged me to some psychologist, psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. I did not like the man. It was horrible. Um, Mm -hmm. but I ended up, I think at that time I ended up going on a medication and it was able to help me, you know, settle my life back. Um, and then ever since then, it's just been kind of ups and downs of, anxiety waves, just like grief Mm -hmm. waves. They just, they go together. (laughs) But now that you know that that is what it is, are you just like how we know when grief, Mm -hmm. what grief is like, we're like, okay, this is a grief wave and it's coming. And I know kind of how to name it at least and what's happening. Does it make a difference then now for you when you're having an anxiety or, uh, you know, episode or a panic attack? Does it help you knowing that that is what is happening in order to then learn how to kind of cope with it as it's occurring? Absolutely. 100%. Um, I think, you know, over the years I've, I've done a lot of work on myself really most recently is when I've done the most work and being able to know that, oh, this is just anxiety. And like, you know, I could wake up and be like, okay, it's a little bit in my chest today. What can I do to get out of it? And then it just turns into the self-talk and um, really just focusing on whether it's meditation or breathing or whatever the case might be, just to, you know, basically I'm in control of myself. I have the power to control my day and how can I get out of this? Okay. So you, you mentioned that this is something more that you've started kind of working on more recently on yourself. So, um, does that and that's is your puppy your puppy yeah he's i know yeah people hear that we'll probably hear on both sides no problem i end i'm the same my the little one the new one is sleeping uh right now but the same i'll have to be like okay he might need to go to the if he wakes up i'll have to open the door to take you know to potty so it's like the the things of doing podcasts at home are that of like oh my gosh if somebody rings the doorbell they're gonna bark and then that's gonna be the microphone's going to pick that up. Um, okay. So then with the, with, okay. So you were talking about then the 
the you know growth on yourself and like knowing then okay when you wake up kind of feeling a certain way because i'm sure too the well maybe because you've had those for years like you don't relate that to thinking that it's something going on with your heart do you at any point now yeah i'm really good at that now i'm still a hypochondriac in other areas but Mm -hmm. i definitely know like okay i'm not having a heart attack i'm not you know uh, yeah Mm -hmm. i'm good at that part okay so then what kind of then work you were talking then about yourself talk like kind of like getting yourself out of it talk, walk us through that in the anxiety component and let it and also share with that is is that something you also use then in your grief waves as well yeah so what i've learned you know after and i know we'll talk about my mom's death mm-hmm. still but what i've learned after so after my mom's death i pretty much just stuffed it i i it took me a long time to even process it. Um, while it was very expected, which made it easier in some regards, it definitely um, was way easier for me just to kind of take on the caretaker mode and make sure my dad was okay and make sure I was still doing everything that my mom would do and want us to be done and really just not processing the fact that she was no longer there. And I had a, a toddler at the time. And so I, I was a busy person. Um, how old was how old was it was eva eva that you had at that so eva was how old when your mom died um let's see she was four um yeah so she was four um yeah so i mean i was busy and i i just it was and we kept moving with ryan's job and it was just busy 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 so i i accepted it and just moved forward i guess that you know my mom had passed on and um it wasn't until probably like October of 2018. So my mom died in 2015 um, that I, we had moved to Texas and I was, you know, finally we were settled. And I think I was finally starting to digest the fact that she had passed away and Mm -hmm. things were happening like in my daily life. Like I was struggling with work because, and I couldn't explain any of it. Like I was getting behind Mm -hmm. on emails and just stuff that was not typically like me. Um, the foggy brain, the yes. foggy brain, the, the grief brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the foggy brain and definitely just, but the problem was I wasn't putting a name to what was happening. And, mm-hmm. you know, one somebody could look at it and be like, oh, well, you just moved to a new city and you're probably sad. And it, it wasn't any of that. It was really the fact that I never digested anything with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember in October-ish, I bought like a couple of books, like the Dead Moms Club and um, and started to really, you know, think about going back to therapy and, and processing all of the, you know, the death of my mom, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward, then a couple of months later, when my husband passes away, um, which was totally shocking and, you know, not, not expected at all, um, I learned that I needed to deal with it right away. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. just stuff it. And now I was on my own, too. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when, when my mom died, Brian was my rock, and he he was there for me and, you know, comforted me and all of that. And now my rock is gone. So now I have to be my own rock. Um, so I've learned through this experience that I can't stuff it. You know, I really, and, and it goes with both grief and with anxiety. I mm. just need to be open and honest with myself and with others around me and let them know what's going on. Let myself know what's going on, being open and honest with a the therapist, um, you know, things like that um, in order to process this and be able to move forward. Uh, and that's definitely what I've been doing. And it's been eye-opening and, and very helpful, obviously. Wow. No, that that is so true. Yeah, I, I always uh, make the analogy of kind of like a pressure cooker. Like you, you know, it's like when you just kind of leave it there, if you don't let the the have you cooked in a pressure cooker oh, before? Yeah. Like you know, how, yeah, you have to let the steam out slowly first before you open it, and uh, and that's I think what it is with grief, like allowing it to just come out, you know, steam out, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. instead of just suddenly just popping it, you know, open uh, like that, right? Because <laughs> it yeah. is definitely more. And I'm I'm assuming with anxiety, then it would be the same scenario. Like if you let let it kind of come in as steam rather than just stuffing it, you won't get like this huge yeah. episode per se. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that uh, for myself as well. That's kind of what's helped. So let's, you were saying first that your first therapy therapist when you were dealing with anxiety was somebody you did not 
uh, like. So <laughs> necessarily, did you did find a therapist that worked for you in I that mean, process? Or, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, no. <laughs> no. But okay. I can't blame the therapist. I really need to blame myself too. That I just I wasn't being honest and I wasn't being vulnerable mm. and. I only know this now because I finally found a therapist that I am able to open up to and that I have been putting the work in. Um, I mean, even when Brian first died, the therapist that I was seeing, I thoroughly enjoyed going. However, I realized it was just like chatting with my friend for an hour. Um, I wasn't doing anything to help myself get better. Um, so mm. over the years, I've seen plenty of different therapists. Uh, I've, I'm really good at reading my body and I don't know how to teach others to do that per se, but I can really tell when, okay, it's time to go talk to somebody or, okay, it's mm. time to take medication. Oh, you're good. You can get off of it now. Um, so over the years, I've just kind of dealt with it and, you know, and, and mm -hmm. had my ups and my downs and went on medicine when I needed to and off of it when I didn't need to. And um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't ever really found the perfect therapist until now. Until now. And the, and the one now then aside from the anxiety, then of course has helped you more like with coping with your grief journey as well. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now let's fast, like I, I'm, my conversations are not linear as in I say <laughs> this in other episodes, like it's just like grief. It's not linear. Yep. <laughs> my conversations aren't either. My interviews aren't either. So, um, let's go back then to 2015 when your mom passed away you had already moved to Texas or no, no, you moved to no. Texas in 2018. So where yeah. did you guys live in 2015? Your parents were still in New York. Yep. So and my were parents, you guys in New York? Mm -hmm. We were in New York, actually. Uh, we had lived in Boston and then we moved to Maryland for a year, um, which my mom loved that. And there was, uh, there was gossip about Toyota moving to Texas. And my mom used to say, if you move to Texas, I'm going to be so mad at you, like to Brian and whatnot. However, she would have loved it here. But anyways, mm -hmm. um, we were only in Maryland for a year and then we moved up to New York, uh, but we were on the other side of the state. So we were still a good six hours away from my parents. Um, so my mom was able to see that house. They came up in February of that year. Uh, so she was able to see it. And then she um, passed away in July of that year. So what had happened is she had the breast cancer twice. Um, and then in, uh, it was like 2012, I think around then, um, she one, one day or over time or whatnot, just mm -hmm. turned yellow. Um, her skin oh, from head jaundice. to toe was yellow. Mm -hmm. Yep. Jaundice eyeballs, everything. Um, the, the doctor said she looked like a pumpkin. Um, and it was like, and she's really Italian, you know, rich skin. Mm -hmm. So it was a unique color, so to say. Um, but she was yellow, itchy, and all of that. So they were actually at my house when it had happened. And so she went home, went to the doctor. Uh, long story short, they determined that she had bile duct cancer, mm -hmm. which is incredibly rare. Um, so that was, and they didn't, they don't think that it came from the breast cancer. It just happened to be, you know, a, a bad luck. But who, who knows? Oh, I mean, oh, it very. Oh, so it was not a second. It was not the breast cancer spreading. No, they didn't. The oh, yeah, they said that it was not. So I don't know how they can determine that. I would mm -hmm. think that it was, but who knows? Mm -hmm. um, so in February of 2014, uh, or no, of, uh, so when she first was diagnosed, they ended up doing this major surgery. It was like 12 hours long uh, where they essentially went in and it's called the Whipple. I don't know the exact yeah, yeah, details, yeah. but yeah, they went in and rearranged everything and mm -hmm. um, put some stents in and stuff like that. And um, she was doing fine for a while. Um, and then in, she did chemo, radiation, all that good stuff. And then in 2014, uh, it came back or they found another, um, basically the stents keep getting blocked, kept getting blocked. Uh, so they found another tumor. And then I think it went into the pancreas a little bit. and. Um, so she fought it so incredibly hard from basically 2012. She did have a couple of good years or, you know, months in there, I should say. Um, but then when it came back in 2014, um, she fought it for a good year. And it was a definitely a miserable year. Um, I One of the things that she had uh, completed as she was, you know, throughout her journey was somebody gave her a journal. And so she, every day in this journal, wrote stuff down and... I never read it. And honestly, I still had never read it until this morning because I was like, you know what? I'm going on this 
podcast, I should probably, you know, check in to see. Are you serious? This yeah. podcast was the, this podcast interview was the catalyst for you reading yes. her journal entries. Yes. And it's not like part of me wanted it to be very, you know, like, oh, I love my family and this and that. It wasn't. It was like, I went to the doctor today and my blood pressure was this and I'm tired. It was like her record, her medical record. It really yeah, was. Because yeah. she used to joke that, you know, with chemo brain, she couldn't remember anything. So she mm. would go home and write it all down. But there was some good stuff in there, like um, talking about Eva and how much light she brings to her world mm. and how helpful I was. And she was complaining about my dad being a pain in the butt. And so, um, how, how is it reading it? How was it then reading it this morning? Like so many years later, um, um, it's definitely, th- yeah, I mean, definitely therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at a mm-hmm. good place right now where, uh, it, it was probably good that I waited so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I have a voicemail on my phone that I've never fully listened to. And it was the day before she passed away. She had called me to, I don't know, bring her, she was in like a rehab type center. Um, mm-hmm. and she had called me to bring her pajamas or something. And it was just, it's like three minutes long and I still haven't listened to the whole thing, but it's on my phone mm-hmm. if I ever want it. So, well, th- you might want to upload it and save it just in case anything were to, yeah, oh, okay, on, okay, it's good, not a good. Computer, and I just got a new oh, computer, good. so I should put it on there too, but yeah. Good, good. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's good. You know, the, the timing with things like that, I feel like when you're ready, like it's going to mm-hmm. be exactly the time yeah. that you needed it. Um, I've realized that I like. I had a book my mom gave me, which was a poems, like poems for my daughter, something like that. She gave it to me years and years and years ago. Um, and after she passed away, like I had forgotten about that book. And I honestly, I don't think I had read all the poems in there mm. either, you know. And then when she had like a year after she had died, I, I like I went and got opened the book and read her the, the you know, the you know when you yeah, how do you like the the message. Se- yeah little message at the and it, it said you know read the one on page so that it's the one that and when I read that in that moment on that day it felt like she like it was exactly the what I needed her to tell me For that, that day, day. yeah it was like the it was even though she had written it way before she was even you know sick before I even had kids you know like yeah. a long and it was just so perfect. So when you re- when you're ready to listen to the whole message, it'll be yeah the time it needed to be. Um, thank you for sharing those those uh, things because I think that that's important for people to know because sometimes we feel um, you know people ask like when did you get rid of the clothes mm. of your mom or when did you you know do this or that and honestly everybody's timing is unique to them as to when they choose to do those different milestones yeah and that that's life. actually that's one thing i learned it's so silly saying i learned it from this death versus this death mm, but mm. one thing i learned like when my mom passed away like i said before you know i stepped into caretaker mode i made sure that like the funeral was perfect and everybody like my brother you know his kids had the right clothes and uh, my mom was always the one who, like, whenever anybody died, you know how everybody brings food to people's houses. My mom mm-hmm. always brought cups, paper plates, napkins, spoons, forks, knives, coffee. So, like, I made sure we had all of that. And I still find myself doing that to this mm-hmm. day. Like, oh, somebody died. Oh, I'll bring paper plates. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so and I, they don't have to worry about washing. That's a great tip right yeah. there. Everybody write that one down. <laughs> we always think of what casserole should I make? Yeah. But the, that's a great idea. Bring the paper goods so yeah. that they don't even have to wash for a few days because they may not feel like even putting exactly. any dishes in the dishwasher. That's wonderful. Okay, yeah. go ahead. But continue. One, one thing that I did do, though, is... I was only home with my dad for a certain amount of time. I can't remember. I think I was working from home at the time. So I was able to stay. Um, One of my favorite memories of the entire night was, um, and I'm like not being linear right now either. So so when my mom was actually, uh, you know, my, we had just visited her uh, and then we drove back because Brian had to go back to work. And then I think our plans were to go back the following weekend because we knew it wasn't good. So we're like, we'll just come back every weekend. And my dad had called and said, you know, this isn't looking good. You should come home. And I said, okay, fine. So we jumped in the car and we were maybe three hours from home when my dad called to tell me that she actually passed away. And Mm. um, so then the rest of the car ride was just like, you know, silence. And we didn't get home until probably like 
at seven or eight or, you know, at night. And when we pulled into my driveway, my dad wasn't home yet, but my parents have like this gorgeous deck on the back of the house. And the entire deck was filled with all of my dad's friends, like all of his beer drinking Mm. buddies and whatnot. They were all sitting there waiting for him to come home from the hospital. So then when he actually got out of the car and came home, it was just, it it was so nice. Like I have goosebumps right now. It was Mm. just, it was so nice that everybody cared about him so much and that they all showed up and, um, it made me like feel like, okay, you know, I don't have to worry. So I don't remember how long I stayed home with him. But one of the things that I definitely wanted to help him with was to go through my mom's stuff because she had so much stuff. She had a shopping problem, just like me. And I was (laughs) like, you know, let me let me help you with this. And I went through all of her stuff. And we brought probably like 13 big black garbage bags to Goodwill and all of that. And fast forward to, you know, grief experience number two, I was like, I'm not getting rid of any of Brian's stuff yet because I might want to do something with it. And my aunt made awesome bears out of his shirts and things like that for the girls. And I look back and I'm like, I got rid of all of my mom's stuff. Like I Mm. saved nothing. I mean, I saved jewelry and stuff like that, but like to have like a a bear made out of her shirt, I would love right now. So, you know, word of advice is, well, it feels good to just help and, and clear it out and feel like you're getting something accomplished in the same sense, like don't necessarily do it so fast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with Brian's stuff, I did get rid of some stuff, but um, I moved pretty much all of his stuff from our master closet to a, a spare closet. And now it's still haunting me, like just not too long ago. And like you said, you know, when it's time, mm-hmm. not too long ago, you know, I said to Dave, I'm like, I need to clean out that closet. Like it's just weighing on me and mm-hmm. knowing me, I'll probably just put them in bins and put it upstairs in the attic, but then at least, you know, the closet will be clear. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I got rid of my mom's stuff too soon, so to say, and my dad probably, yeah. yeah, my dad probably wouldn't agree. Cause he still calls me and he's like, there's stuff everywhere. And what do I do mm-hmm. with this? And what do I do with that? So yeah, um, it too soon. And for your, yeah, for what you would have wanted to do as now as you're experiencing and yeah. you know, the, the whole thing with the shirts of the bears, those are so, that's so cute. I heard that in one of the episodes of somebody that's what they did with her brother's shirts for her kids. Like she made those bears and I had never heard of those little memory bears or something like that. That, They're so, that's so thoughtful. Uh, Does Dave still have a closet of his, uh, of his first wives? um, Sharon, right? Is that correct? Sherry. Sharon's uh, Sherry's um, clothes too. Um, So he actually, you know, when I had first met him, obviously his closet, his house was still untouched and it wasn't until we started living together that, you know, and he ended up renting his house out, but I actually went over and helped him one day because I didn't want him to have to do it himself, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was important and what wasn't important. Um, And, you know, being a typical dude, he's like, whatever, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, but we did find some stuff. So I went through it and actually picked out stuff that I thought was fun and and that his daughter would appreciate Mm -hmm. one day down the road. So we have a a good size bin of, you know, her clothes and my aunt took some of it and made a bear for his daughter too. And, um, so so that is so, that is so beautiful. And, and it's so true because then you as a, as as a woman and as a mom of two other girls and having you yourself lost your mom, you can relate to what, you know, Dave's daughter is going through as well, that you know, what will be significant maybe for her as she gets older and stuff because she was so little too. So, um, Thank you for for sharing that. Okay, so when your mom then passed away, you went into this mode then of being the one taking care of the things, doing the funeral, doing this and so forth. And the emotions of grief kind of went in the back burner. Yeah. Okay. Then three years later, when you moved here, now when you moved then to Texas, um, was when Pandora's box kind of, flew open and I you I know you mentioned that some people say oh it's probably because you're sad because you moved but I'm wondering just as when you were saying that I'm wondering if even the grief of a move opened opened up this other wound of the Mm -hmm. grief of your mom you know dying because it was like a different space and time so share with us uh, more than about that you were feeling kind of foggy brain things weren't coping so take us into that and how it is you started to then do your healing process right, uh, you know, then it was just a, a year, not even a year, right? A few months later, yeah. six, six months, yeah, late. Not, you moved here, Jill, when in 2018? We moved here in actually December of 
2017. We closed it like the end of the year. Oh, 2017. Uh, yeah. And then Brian died in 2019. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So March. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I, I, you're probably right that, you know, the move brings grief. Uh, mm-hmm. However, I, you know, definitely excited about this Texas move because we had, you know, this is where Toyota opened their headquarters. And so it was going to be no more moving. And Eva was at the age she was in kindergarten or first grade when we moved. So she was at the age that we just couldn't keep bouncing around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian didn't want to do that to the girls. So there was probably something to it that this was like our final destination, uh, at least for, you know, long term, uh, mm-hmm. that probably brought about some sort of emotion as well, that this is where we we are and we're not leaving. And we are far away from home. Uh, every other state we've lived in, it's been a quick or quick ish car ride Mm -hmm. to get home where this was an airplane ride and Mm -hmm. I hate flying. So that probably played into it too. Um, so I think there was a lot of that going on. I mean, my dad definitely would still come visit and things like that, but I think there was just a lot of that that probably rolled into, okay, yes, we're settled now. Okay. Now it's time to think about how you lost your mom and you can't call your mom to tell her about this problem or that problem. And, you know, you're so far away from your dad and you have no friends or family in the area. So yeah, you're probably right. A lot of that piled into it. And I just, I started to, I don't know if shut down is the right word, but um, usually when seasonal changes come to my emotions get all you know mm-hmm. out of whack. And so it was going into that winter you know, grab mm-hmm. doll, yeah. even though it's still, yeah, no, there, and but. it's a real, it's a real thing. Like people like that, those, uh, aspects of, uh, quote unquote, depression, sadness, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it based on the seasons. Uh, a lot of people go through yeah. that. So, yeah. So then that yeah. started to, to occur. Yeah, and I then had, I had mm-hmm. that going on and I know, I remember at work, I got in trouble for something and it was just, very, everything was very unlike me. Um, cause I'm a mm-hmm. people, people pleaser by nature and, uh, so, you know, Brian and I had some discussions about it, but he was always super busy with his own job. And while he, you know, devoted time to me, it was never open communication, so to say. Uh, but so a, a lot of it I dealt with on my own and uh, just really what it probably transformed into was more like different health things like, oh, now I think I have this wrong with me. I need to go to this doctor. Or I should go to this doctor. And uh, really rather than just sitting down and admitting, you know, this is what's going on. Uh, let's deal with it. I would kind of make excuses up along the way. So when did you, when did you actually begin to have that honest look at those emotions? So I feel like it was, like I said, like in that October timeframe mm-hmm. before Bride died, right, before um, he, where mm-hmm. I was starting to think about it. Um, Mm -hmm. But then the holidays and all of that rolled around and, you know, life was stressful with Brian's job and whatnot. So it's almost like I was just starting to touch Mm -hmm. it and then life got crazy and then Brian died. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it just talk about opening a box, like everything, my whole world fell apart in two hours. So, yeah, that, that, um, yeah, Liz and I met actually at the CrossFit gym, I think. We did. We only see each. We only saw each other a couple. Yeah, times. just Because I times. saw you. Yeah, the day I saw you was they had just done a workout. I think in honor of, of Brian. And then you're like, oh yeah, no, yeah, he's he's my husband. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know. Like we we're sitting there and they were gonna do a workout and his honor, and I didn't even know that I was talking to his widow. You know when when that happened. So, um, so when when then he died, then your. Uh, all of these emotions start opening up his death, your mom's death. You have your mom of two young girls in that moment. What were some of the tools then that you used at that moment to help you navigate your grief? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing was just letting people help. Um, I'm definitely a terrible delegator. I like to do everything myself. I was laughing this morning because when I was reading my mom's journal, she actually I flagged the page. She actually said um, something of, let's see. uh, Well, my dad and I redid her laundry room while she was Uh at home recovering. And it was filled with like all her Tupperware and all of that. And I'm known to just throw things and she (laughs) keeps everything. And so she said that she was working on her laundry room and 
I moved all of her stuff around and I, uh, she tried to help me, but she couldn't. And she got so angry and she's like, I could hardly stand it. And I don't like not being in control. And I was like, Oh, that's me. So, um, I definitely like being in control, but I did learn that when Brian died that I just had to let others help me. So my, my door became just an open door. Uh, my next door neighbor just took over with a clipboard and she started, this is what we need to do. Um, other neighbors were bringing food in, they were cleaning my house and I just sat there and let them help. Um, so that was definitely hard for me to do, but I really had no, no choice. Um, and then, you know, really, and then asking for help too. So my dad, he ended up, he was in, on vacation in Florida when it happened and he ended up flying here and he didn't, so this happened in March and he didn't leave until July. Um, which mm -hmm. I never in a million years, I mean, my dad and I are close. My mom and I were closer, I guess, just, you know, that mom daughter mm -hmm. bond. Uh, but I never expected him to stop his life like that and, you know, come stay with me for that long. And, um, but you know, I had asked and it, 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 it happened. So it's just really about being and, honest. And, and if anyone could relate to what you were going through was your dad, you know, absolutely, because he you know, had lost his partner. Yeah. And we've become closer in that regard because he's at times experienced some panic and anxiety now. And, you know, back when I first was having panic, he didn't get it. He was like, just what's wrong with you? Snap out of it. And now mm -hmm. that he's had it, he'll be like, oh, I totally understand. I get it. I get it. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's nice to have that relationship where I can talk and, and he'll understand. And then same with Dave, you know, Dave's been through stuff too. And so I can talk to Dave and, and he just, he gets it. And it's nice to have those people in your world. And I know it's not always easy to find those people, but I mean, with, with all of the growing that I've done throughout this journey, when I surround myself by other widows, it definitely is helpful for me. So the sense of community. So one, if somebody doesn't have within their immediate circle, people like yourself, that you have your dad, that you're able, that relates to what you're going through. Cause he also had his, you know, lost his wife, mm -hmm. your partner, your, you know, uh, Dave, who also can relate to what you've gone through because he also is a widower. Um, if someone doesn't have that, then the next, the next thing, which you also have is a group of other widows who relate to what you're going through. So two huge things you said, one is the aspect of allowing others to help you and the other yep. one seeking community um, as well for that support. Would there be any other uh, tools? Of course, and you mentioned, you know, finding the right therapist, but being honest with your therapist, yes. <laughs> being honest with your emotions in order for that therapy to actually work. Yes. Yeah. Most definitely there. I think, you know, becoming vulnerable has been a journey for me, but it's, it's definitely mm -hmm. has been what has helped me. Um, even doing podcasts like this, like being able to mm -hmm. tell my story and to say it out loud, knowing that I might be able to help somebody else definitely pushes me and keeps me going forward. Um, another thing is, you know, like I've said, just don't stuff it. It's, mm -hmm. It does not help. It, it's, it's going to come back at some point in time. So why not just deal with it now? Um, mm -hmm. and I know, you know, it's hard to, to find those groups of people, but sometimes you just have to put yourself out there to find them. Like, you know, they didn't just come to me. I had to go out there and, and find those groups and, you know, like journey of hope uh, that we did in kind of still sometimes do um, mm -hmm. in, in Texas, you know, it's, it's really just, it's going out and finding mm -hmm. your people. And even if you don't have grief people, so to say, I have found a group of friends that just, I'm open and honest with them. And I tell them, you know, this is a crappy day, or I had mm -hmm. this dream last night and it's just not hiding anything. And that's what I've learned that, you know, life is short. It's not worth it to hide stuff and to, you know, be secretive. And it's just, it's way more, way easier. Like, you know, like Dave and I, we just put it on the table. There's an issue. Let's talk about it. You know, and mm. I'm upset about something because I'm sad about something. Like, let me tell you why I'm upset. And it just, it makes life so much easier. I love it that way. I, I you know, what you're saying right now, I just got uh, chills because you mentioned right before, like how, even though it, with Brian, you know, when your mom died, like you, he was there, but not, you guys wouldn't necessarily talk about emotions. The fact mm -hmm. that now the woman that you are now having been through these two experiences 
how different you are. Like, you know, that growth of like now of what you're saying, now you just share everything, all this growth that has occurred because of these experiences and how different it makes it feel in your, in your body. Do you find that you are less anxious now in general? Do you feel that the anxiety is different as you now maybe share more about your emotions? So, I mean, it's definitely not a walk in the park. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I still have to constantly remind myself and, and Dave will remind me too. And my friends will remind me that I have grown and this is how far I've grown and I'm doing mm-hmm. a great job because there are still plenty of days and moments where I'm like, ugh, like I, you know, I, I'm not at rock bottom, but I'm, I'm falling, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not though. I'm, I'm definitely moving forward. Um, you know, in terms of anxiety, that definitely comes and goes. Um, I would say this fall, I definitely fell again mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of the, just the yeah. really probably more with the depression and, and the anxiety revolved around uh, yeah. losing Brian and mm-hmm. my mom, I'm sure as well. And it just, mm-hmm. it morphs into me not wanting to have to drive anywhere. And the second I know that that happens, like I don't want to get in the car and drive, then I'm like, okay, time to switch gears and attack this before it becomes a bigger problem. So I've been working on that and really, you know, outside of medication, things that I have found helpful that I once used to stick my nose up at is meditation and yoga, although I haven't been doing yoga, but meditation and moving your body. You do, you do. Yeah. Exercise. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exercising, meditation, really just finding time to put time into me uh, Mm -hmm. versus being that person who takes care of everybody else. You know, it's, it's just like they say, you have to put your oxygen mask on first when you're on the plane. Uh, Same thing. You know, if I don't fix me first, then everybody else who I'm trying to grow or, you know, work with aren't going to grow. Um, So I've been doing the meditation. I have also been working on just really setting up a routine and habits. Um, So I'd like to do every morning, I'll wake up and I have a book that I'm reading and I'll work through one chapter of the book and I rotate whether it's like a self-help book or, you know, whatever kind of book. Um, So, you know, the kids go off to school, I make my tea, I meditate, I read a chapter of my book, and then that really just sets my mind frame up for the day. Um, I'm still working on the working out portion. I got to get better with that, but (laughs) it'll get there. It's awesome. No, these are great tips. I'm, I'm writing, writing them down, uh, because, you know, even again, like even if I may have some (laughs) tools that have helped me, it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean that those same tools might work for someone else. So it's always good to learn from others what's worked for them in case someone else I know is going through something, you know, sharing, well, this worked for my friend, Liz, you know, it might work for you as well, or, you know, things like that. So um, thank you for sharing that. Um, Now, in this journey of grief, going through the uh, death of your mom, and then that of the death of Brian, how how was it for you helping your daughters in their grief journey of the loss of their parent since you had lost a parent? So, I mean, honestly... I feel like I'm failing at it on a daily basis. Um, First off, by the way, thank you, you know, Liz, for being so honest because we always all feel like we're parents. We always feel like we're failing. Yeah. I mean, I have my good days and bad days, but I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of times there's more I could be doing. um, Mm -hmm. Because it's one of those things where, you know, they were young. Eva was seven. Emmy was a baby. She has no recollection besides pictures. Um, and Eva, I always just, she's my little rock. She's tough. She's, you know, she's not, we, we give her a hard time. She's not the hugging type, you know, she's kind of a little rough around the edges. Um, but then I say to myself, I'm like, well, wait, well, is she not that way? Because she's Mm. put up her shield and she really wants to be hugged Mm. and she really wants to be able to talk about things. So, you know, I go back and forth with it. Um, Dave's great with being able to help me, you know, figure out what she's thinking and and where she is. Um, We did have some, I I did have therapy for her initially um, after Brian died and she graduated out of it. Uh, However, just recently I've noticed with preteen stresses and Mm -hmm. going into middle school and all of that stuff, 
uh, her and I actually just had a conversation the other day of, you know, do you think you might want to go back and chat with somebody? It doesn't have to be about dad. It could just be about, you know, life and friendships and things like that. And she was like, yeah, I'd go back. So I'm in the process of, you know, getting her started back up with that. But when I say I fail, I think it's just because sometimes, like I said, they were so young and life just seemed so easy. And, you know, Dave and I finding each other the way that we did is just miraculous. And, it's so good. And, you know, they, they love him and he loves them. And it's just like this perfect little family that we've put together. And so sometimes it's hard to want to approach the situation and be like, let's talk about that because it just seems mm -hmm. so good. You don't want to like, you know, pop the bubble. Jinx and, it. <laughs> and yes. Yes. You don't want things to go downhill, but mm -hmm. I worry that if I don't talk about it, that then I'm just helping her stuff it just like I did. So it's definitely a, a balance of trying to figure out exactly what to do, what not to do. So, you know, as of so far, like I said, she's been to therapy. Both girls have pictures in their rooms of him and there's pictures throughout the house. And whenever there's an anniversary, whether it's of his death or his birthday, we're always celebrating. Um, so we keep it light and fun. And, you know, I'm here if they ever want to talk, you know, more in depth about things. But And I hard. love that because I've, you know, friends with you on Facebook and seeing when it's their birthday, uh, any of the girl's birthday, you always tag Brian still yeah. <laughs> on his account too. Like, uh, so it's like, you know, acknowledging that this is, you know, the, the dual, you know, the two of you is, you know, like still like, I just, I think it's so beautiful that in, in the midst of your joy of this family that you, you and Dave have now, you know, created, you guys can still honor each other where you're at and then honor the girls where they're at with their grief as well. And I think that's just so important. Um, yeah. so, so thank you. Um, Liz, is there anything I have not asked you <laughs> or anything that you want to share with the listeners of anything else, whether it has to do with the grieving of a parent or of a spouse, whichever one you want to share or any tools or any words of advice? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we've gone over a lot. Um, you know, nobody wants to lose anybody in life. However, it's just, it's bound to happen. And, you know, when I lost my mom, I definitely, I was relieved in the sense that she suffered for so long that I felt like finally she could be at peace and not have to, you know, especially reading her journal today. It's just like, you know, every day not feeling well, like I can't imagine. So I was relieved for her obviously sad, but relieved, relief for my dad because he was able to, you know, luckily they both retired when they were 55. So she had 10 fun years, you know, of retirement, but, um, I was relieved for him that he was able to almost have a second go at life as well. Um, and not have to, you know, be held down by illness. Um, and then, you know, I was thrown into the dead mom's club so to say, and mm -hmm. it's a club that nobody wants to be a part of. And I thought, you know, how much worse could this get? I have my dad, it'll be okay. Um, never dreaming that, you know, I would lose my husband. And then I became a, a member of the dead husband's club, um, mm -hmm. which is worse uh, if that's possible. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think the biggest thing is just, it's so easy to fall into a rut and, and really not feel like you're going to be able to dig yourself out and you just have to open up and ask for help and, and be honest with those that love you because they want to help you. There, you know, there's always people out there that say, what can I do? What can I do? And mm -hmm. you know, you don't necessarily want flowers or a fruit basket. You want babysitting for a night or you want, you know, to go to the spa and get a massage or just to have 10 minutes to yourself or just to talk to somebody and have them not say back, Oh, I know how you feel because they don't know how you feel. Um, yeah, I, I think that really just being able to open up and, and talk to people and let them know what you need is how you're going to be able to grow out of it and move forward. Mm, thank you so, so much for sharing those, those tips, because those are things that as someone's listening to this, if you yourself have not experienced something, but know of someone that has and has gone through anything similar to what Liz has gone through she's giving us some tips as to what it is she she you know that you like so um thank you yeah the the aspect of, of of just even just 10 minutes to yourself as a as a single mom you know as a widow is uh huge so that in itself is a gift better than some flowers so uh offer to babysit even if it's like for her for someone to go 
to the spa for an hour, do something for themselves. Uh, that in itself is uh, a huge, uh, huge gift. Uh, thank you so much, Liz. And again, this was Elizabeth Hall that we had on the podcast today. And we'll be sharing more information below in the show notes if you ever need to reach out uh, in any way. Uh, if, you, if you yourself can relate to any aspect of her story, you're, you can reach out to her. Thank you again, Liz. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.